Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. I'm German, but I got the worst, worst of it with Helge. <laughs> what, you mean the stereotypes? Yeah, no, I mean like, the, yeah, somebody decided for us that we're German and now we're stuck with that. Hmm. Italian's an interesting one too that you mentioned it because it's basically a loose collection of city-states that was all brought together under one thing called Italy and now you're all meant to be a country just, yeah. <laughs> and they absolutely hate each other <laughs> isn't that basically what Germany is as well yeah uh, yeah. They, yeah they, not, it's not cities necessarily but you know like small provinces provinces that all really like small provinces yeah, yeah. That's why we all have all those fancy names like North Rhine-Westphalia and like Mecklenburg-Vorpommern. It's all sounds like Mecklen- an old pro-Evo game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it does a little, doesn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm a big fan of Schleswig-Holstein. Who isn't? Who isn't? I just... <laughs> I just got no it. feelings about that. So. You have no feelings about Schleswig-Holstein? I mean, it's nice. I think they have the longest coastline in Germany. Is that right? Yeah. Could be, right? Yeah, they have They got both. Yeah, because they got both sides. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I'm a fan then, I guess. But they've got loads of they got loads <laughs> Might of as well. they got loads of funny names up there. Like they've got like Bosum and Hersum, which yes. is quite good. They've got a village called Wankendorf. Uh, <laughs> oh man, um, we're, we're digressing. We're, oh man. So that's a place in Switzerland too, Wankdorf. Wankdorf, yeah, the the young boys yeah, stadium, yeah. the Wankdorf. That's the capital, actually, right? Well, we have a little village that's called Stritz Margarete in Hessen. Okay. How about that? It sounds like a infectious disease. Stritz margarita. Merite. Ah, okay. Well, this is classic content. (laughs) (laughs) To anybody who has not turned off yet. Yeah. (laughs) No, they've turned off by now. Anyway, joining me in McCord on today's One Football Podcast is Matt Froelich. Hey. Nico Hamer. Hey. Helga Voltman. Hey. Should you wish to get in touch, tell us what you think of the pod, send over any questions you address to do so. It's podcast at onefootball.com. Or you can get onto iTunes, leave a review, let us know how you think we're doing. Okay, uh, we need to talk about German football. We need to talk about the DFB. We need to talk about the ultras. We need to talk about banners. We need to talk a lot. It's true. It's going to take some time. It's yeah. going to take some time. So I, I promise we'll we'll drop the border chat now. Okay, that's it's gone. Schleswig Holstein chat's gone. Uh, I think we should start though with the fifty plus one rule because that's the fundamental basis of all German football. Am I right? Yeah, yeah it is. Okay, it's, so for those who don't know, break it down. Okay, I'm going to try to make it as quick as possible. And Helge, you jump in if you think I say something wrong. It's basically a rule that says that every club that wants a license in the top two leagues in Germany, uh, top three leagues actually, um, needs to own a majority of the voting rights. That means 50 plus 1% must be owned by the club and not an investor. It's basically the idea was to keep investors from taking over the entire club and saying like... I'm the king here now and I'll do whatever I want. Um, Because all the clubs, most of the clubs in Germany are driven by the fans and very well connected to their fan bases. The idea is to keep that, I think. Yeah, more or less. This, yeah, and also like for, I think they can own more of the shares in general, but they cannot have like a, as you said, like the the, the voting the, the right. voting rights yeah. there, like the vo- exactly. voting power. Well, that was pretty good. Yeah, yeah you got Getting that. There. You got that up pretty quickly. But Helga, there are a few clubs who've gotten around this. Well, yeah, there's um, there were two clubs originally that were um, how do you translate that? Vex clubs, like it was like factory or like 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 factory clubs mm-hmm. that were teams that were workers in those factories, like Bayer and Volkswagen, and then. We we have Wolfsburg and, and Leverkusen now where where they had they existed before that rule was actually implemented and so they got an exemption from the rule kind of because they 
they didn't want to tell them, hey, dissolve your club and or you can be part of the Bundesliga. We had those two. And then later on, um, clubs have kind of gotten around it. So there's uh, Hoffenheim that is owned by Dietmar Hopp, who we're going to talk about a little bit more later on. <laughs> um, but he invested a lot of money, but officially didn't own more than, uh, than the shares that he was allowed to. But since the club was completely dependent on his money, obviously he was making the decisions, but not in an official role. And then there is the uh, RB Leipzig um, case, where it's, it's more or less the same. Like they... Claim not to be owned by Red Bull completely, and the, the club is making their distinct decisions, but there's complete BS. We all know it, but basically they found loopholes around it, and then now there's an exception for Hoffenheim as well because this, like, now if you were involved for more than 20 years in the club, paying a certain amount of money, then you can take over, which uh, Hop by now has done. Okay, so just to confirm, then it, with Hoffenheim, Hop is he has circumvented the 50 plus one rule, yes. and he's in complete control of the club. Well, complete. Control uh, is not a word I would use, but yes, he is the majority shareholder. I guess. Yeah, and like what he says, like by now it's like the club yeah. is less dependent on his money. They they have like the system now where they bring up talents, sell them for a lot of money, and then like develop young players. But originally they were completely dependent on him, and he still is very influential. Is, in the club. Is, sorry, isn't there something to do with the paying members as well? Because I saw that in Leipzig. Is the paying members of the club the same as the voting guys? Well, n- not necessarily, but you there's a rule that you need a certain amount of like full members, yeah. paying members, um, and they have a voting right. Yes. Um, and while in other clubs these are thousands and thousands and ten thousands in Leipzig it's 17 17 yeah 17 I, I read this that when they started there was seven yeah. at Leipzig and they all happened to work for Red Bull exactly <laughs> so yeah sure that's just a coincidence yeah. <laughs> they, they capped it off for yeah. no reason whatsoever <laughs> yeah, you, that's, that's another thing you can't yeah. become a full Leipzig member you can't there's no yeah. way yeah. so you what can't about Ho- become a member and, be, and get voting right at Leipzig there's no chance okay what about Hoffenheim can you, can you do it there I guess in Hoffenheim you can but it's too late mm. since uh, Hop already okay. holds more than the- I, I just a quick bit of background to Hoffenheim because this is all crucial to what we're going to get to in a second they were literally a fifth tier team going nowhere and before he took over is that right? so it's his hometown club and town is a bit of an exaggeration there it's like a village. small of a yeah. village <laughs> he grew up there his family grew up there and when he got to money he's the founder of SAP it's an IT company he decided that he wants to invest in his local football club and yes brought them up to League One um, already in a way that was never done before in Germany he was buying uh, players for like 3-4 million euros in the second division something seven that, even, yeah, Eduardo. or 70 million Eduardo something that was outrageous and never seen before back then and um, so yeah but that's basically what he did so you and that's the reason why he is not as hated as Abbey Leipzig not as hated because it's still his hometown hometown club not like Leipzig who just took over a fifth division club and were like you guys don't exist anymore it's Abbey Leipzig now mm-hmm. okay. and also like they were just they tried different cities first like they were the Red Bull just wanted to come to Germany they tried I think St. Pauli even that laughed them out of the room Düsseldorf it was hilarious but um, yeah then in the end they just settled on Leipzig because there was no pro football really in, in that city and it then, wasn't even Leipzig before it was as far Markranstadt, right? Which is maybe a part of Leipzig. I think it's close somewhere like in that that region. Let's let's keep our listeners' attention. uh, (laughs) Um, So the second part of this uh, background is DFB and collective punishments for fans. Who can explain this one? 
Nico? Well, everybody who's been to a stadium before. So the DFB has a rich history in collective punishment, which obviously is not a smart idea. But it has been handled like that for years in Germany, uh, actually decades, where basically if um, a group of fans, one fan would misbehave to a certain point, um, the fan or fan clubs could get a collective banishment, uh, ban, and that would mean, for example, there's Pyro on a away game, next home game, nobody's allowed in the in the stands. Mm -hmm. And there's a collective banishment, and it... Uh, kept on happening in the last years in Hoffenheim, um, the club that Dietmar Hopp owned, uh, that owned by Dietmar Hopp because fans from the traditional clubs in Germany, whenever they went there, they put his head in, I don't know what the... Crosshairs. In the, exactly, mm -hmm. and or had like this banner saying Dietmar Hopp, son of a whore. Mm -hmm. um, and just recently, now that I'm talking about it, um, two years ago, the DFP basically said, we're not going to do collective punishments. Uh, we got the message. It's not fair. We're not doing it anymore. By the way, the UEFA still does it. Um, two weeks ago from now, uh, two from, yeah, basically from now, um, there was a, how do you say, verdict that uh, BVB fans and Dortmund fans are not allowed in Hoffenheim till including 2022. And we're talking about all of them. So collective bans and collective punishments are back. And that does not make the fans happy. Okay, so all of which brings us exactly to last weekend. Uh, we have a bit of the background. But why exactly last weekend? Why was there so many protests last weekend across Because the it was that recently before it was like they were... Um How do you say that? Like on parole, kind of like, or like, yeah. mm -hmm. like, and as the fans, and then there were, um, there were still protests, or like insults towards Hub. So the like the, the the sports court in Germany, or like the DFB, decided that the collective punishment would be brought back. Like, like this, like this is mm -hmm. now, um, like they were not going to go to the next two games to Hoffenheim, which then sparked this whole outrage because the fans felt betrayed by the DFB who said, hey, no, we're not going to do this anymore. Like, this is just unfair to the rest of the fans who didn't do anything. Um, and then now the fans are going like, oh, you brought it back. You broke your word. We cannot trust you. Now we're going to show you what we could do if we actually, you know, Okay. wanted to like really escalate so this. The, the specific punishment was against Dortmund fans exactly. but uh, all there was a number of uh, Bundesliga ultras etc who all banded together to complain against this right because yes. I know Union were involved and was it Gladbach I think were also involved yes. yeah it was yeah. Union it was Gladbach it was Bayern it was even lower league teams were involved yeah um, but it's, it's always been the case so whenever the uh, like Collective pun uh, punishment is the collective enemy of, of the ultras in Germany. So whenever something like that happened, um, plenty of ultras and, or scenes or active fans protested against, uh, against, against that just like the last weekend. Okay, so last weekend they had all of these banners that had um, a hop in crosshairs and they was calling him son of a whore yes. and all of these sort of things. Rummenigge, uh, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge from uh, Bayern said it was a dark day for football. The dark The darkest. The darkest. We will take action against these people in the stands. They have no place in the football stadium. <sighs> He also said, this is the ugly face of football. Yes. Which I so really enjoyed here. At this, <laughs> at this point, I give you free reign to voice your opinion on what Rummenigge has to say. I mean, everybody has a right to say something, I guess, right? That's a freedom of speech. Except, so. except for some people. Except for some people. Except for uh, fans. Except for fans. <laughs> so, um, what happened 
when the Bayern fans put up that banner uh, was immediately the game was interrupted, which is a pretty strong reaction in the first place. They put the banner down again. The players started playing again. They put the banner up again. They went to the... Uh, How was it called? Uh, well, basically the locker rooms, waited there, came back out, and then as a symbol, didn't continue playing. It just passed the ball around to, that, and run down the time. That to me was a disgrace. Bayern was up 6-0 at that point. Just imagine it would be 0-0. That would have never happened. And German media, in particular live commentary, was, and I'm going to say it, it was a disgrace. It was insane how it was treated. He ba basically, the commentators and all of German media on that Saturday, um, basically, they, they pretended like somebody got beaten to death in the stands. That, that was like, if you would have just listened to the commentary and read the articles, you would have thought that was like the biggest brawl in football's history and like a stabbing or something and not just a banner against a, a billionaire. And um, so... Let's put it this way. This entire thing escalated to a point um, that nobody expected. And from my perspective, there are only losers in the situation at the moment. I don't think like, anybody won on the last yeah, week. It's also like just calling this like the darkest day in German football just a couple of years after the, the Dortmund team was attacked by a, like, like a terror attack. Or like, like it's thinking of the German like football team plays versus France while Paris is, gets attacked. In 1998, where you know, like one of the policemen in, in France was being beaten by German hooligans like into the hospital and then like into a coma. It's like there have been way, way darker days. Like, just like, like, and then also they kind of like we had, I don't know like how many people know about this. So, like there's, there was was a, a right-wing terror attack in, in Germany before and a lot of people of the DFB and like they connected these two saying like oh we just had a right-wing terror a right, right extremist uh, terror attack and now we have this just a couple of days after it's like this is completely not on the same level it's just like it's like oh you can put someone in crosshairs just after it's like but you know like this is not connected and it's like no way this is on some level related to, to, to anything so essentially think, essentially what I saw was uh, a bunch of billionaires going over or millionaires let's say yes. uh, trying to stop an insult against another billionaire Absolutely. exactly just uh, yeah go ahead I think we need uh, a bit more background so why did the fans put Dietmar Hopp on the banners and in the crosshairs mm -hmm. I hope that's right look at that you're learning well basically um After that collective punishment again, which was because of an insult to Dietmar Hopp, the fans realized, all right, that's all it takes. All we need to do is insult Dietmar Hopp and we will get heavy, heavy, heavy reactions from everybody. That's the reason they used him. Not because he's the face of Hoffenheim, which is mm. a circumstance, like, mm. is part of it, but they did it to raise awareness for their fight against collective punishments. Nobody in the first 24 hours even tried to understand that. He's irrelevant, basically. He's, he's, he's yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. He's, he's, he's part of it. He's, he's yeah. part of it, but he's not like the the only reason they, they did it. Like there's also like a it's like a twofold uh, protest. It's like one part is against the like investors and and the mm -hmm. 50 plus one rule that it's being being uh, like taken out of the picture basically or that it's under threat the other part is like the collective punishments which was right now the reason they, they these protests started. So basically, the, like. You could put it in a way that the DFB, with that uh, with that collective punishment again, they gave the ultras a weapon, basically, that they, of course, are willing to use. 
right? Because they knew what they have to do to get the reaction, to get the games interrupted. Even now that they did that, to get the games completely like uh, stopped and played another day, which is obviously a crazy, crazy uh, mm. reaction to banners in the stadium, mm. right? And um, also the important thing is, I think, um, no one in because like, some officials of the DFB and of the clubs were claiming that this was a call to murder someone which is it's just a symbolic thing like we have you in our sight we we are uh, like you know like well look we got our eyes on you we we see what yeah. you're doing there we, we we're not forgetting we're not forgiven that's that's not happening like because what Hegel just said obviously Dietmar Hopp will always be hated by most ultras in Germany that's not a, not a question but he was not the reason for the protest on the last weekend what must the players um, who've been racially abused be thinking right now that's another that's another big point because yeah. Yeah. Uh, we had the incident with Hertha yeah. yeah in Schalke when he was actually sent off for his reaction to being racially abused. And nothing happened afterwards. Nothing happened. Nobody spoke up afterwards. Karl Heinz, uh, you know, Rummenigge wasn't there to complain about that. Uh, we, You can go back to the Mesut Ozil situation as well when the reactions were extremely different yeah. when he talked about racism. Yeah. Where he even actually, he basically got shut down, right? Yes. By teammates as well. By, for example, by, Manuel Neuer, who mm. then spoke out, uh, like, who then was talking after the Hoffenheim game and said, like, Dietmar Hopp, like, I feel so sorry for him, that poor man. Which I think is, like, fair, fair that you, that you feel sorry for him, but... Dude, this is like, that's not right. Like, also, you missed something there. Yeah, it's also Timo Werner has been insulted as a son of a whore for months. Like, he, he mm. dove one in, like, once in a game, and afterwards, like, every single, like, 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 stadium he went to, he was called that for minutes and even like in Hoffenheim as well you know football fans have the longest memories yeah, yeah it's, <laughs> it's amazing so like still he's being like still that happens and and the reaction is kind of weird because never before something like that happened there is a uh, three step plan for, for racism in place I think by the UEFA or by the FIFA yeah UEFA, UEFA, I think UEFA. Is, yeah. and that has not been used on racism even like three weeks before with the Turunariga incident where he was being um, like chanted out with like, like monkey noises has not been used then the DFB decided to now actually use that also for just insults which was not done before and it's also not part of the idea of the UEFA but they were like okay we're going to use this for insults and then it's just a really bad light if you ignore all the other incidences before mm. and then when it starts to be like a billionaire who's also a sponsor of the DFB and of uh, some part of the Bayern club like not a, I think not football but like basketball, basketball. I think he's like a, like a sponsor there mm -hmm. and then you start to protect people and he's white I think it's it's important yes. to, ra to, that, to that, point that that's out that's the so. thing yeah. right we have this racist uh, racial abuse against Jordan Turunariga just weeks prior we have the music thing we, we have ongoing problems in German football with like, let's let's be honest here we yeah. have ongoing racial abuse problems in German football there was the case in like Preussen Münster in the third league just also like I think a week or two before like there was yeah. like the fans had a really good reaction they shouted like Nazis out they 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 kind of like organized themselves on their on their like they organized that on their own but they shouldn't have to like the the mm. the league should have like the referee should have just been as decisive as they were exactly um, and, and now that on this weekend it goes against the billionaire they react hard really, really hard and immediately. And that is just 
I can't get my I literally cannot get my head around it yeah it's also like the DFB president for example he was afterwards on a, on a TV show at Sports Studio which is really like one of the most traditional and like oldest ones and he was asked about it and he was like oh no this is unacceptable this is the worst like we cannot like hop like this is such a good man like, we have to protect him da, 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 da. like all these insults like this is like discriminatory da, 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 da. all of that he was like really outraged and then he was asked about Toruna Riga actually like oh what happened with him like he's like well yeah we have the paragraphs of the UEFA and mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. stuff like okay. he, he re- like like the passion was completely gone he got him. asked just to put this man in perspective he's really new in his job and he looked like the right man for the job I'm heavily doubting this now um, he also got asked why in England or in the Netherlands um, the reactions to racist uh, or racial abuse are way harder and better than in Germany and <laughs> for example like they have a like a app where you can um, um, track racists by the like, seat number or, or like denounce oh, yeah. denounce okay. racists yeah. like in the stadium there. his answer was well the Netherlands and England have a way longer history in, race, <laughs> in racism than Germany mm-hmm. that was literally his answer yeah, yeah. on, mm-hmm. on okay. live TV there's no hope for some people uh, <laughs> Dietmar Hopp had an interesting reaction himself he said if I remotely knew what these idiots wanted then it would be easier for me to understand well, I can't explain why they are so hostile to me this reminds me of dark times a lot of this dark time nonsense going around well, that, we, can, we can leave that behind real quick if you yeah. don't know that then like you haven't done your homework in the last 15 years okay. so that's idiotic and it's okay. also like there were offers from the ultras to talk to him he took it once with uh, members of Schwarzgelb, I think. It was um, yeah. uh, a couple of years, actually quite long ago. Like, pretty long like ago. Ten no. years ago, eight years ago, something like that. He took an offer there, but apparently it was not very fruitful from both sides. So like, that's what both sides afterwards um, said. So and since then, there's basically radio silence. Okay. Uh, we mentioned the ultras. Uh, is what if, like they're obviously the hardcore fans and they're obviously uh, invested in a lot did they get much support from the other fans that were in this in the stadiums or was it just sort of shut up you're ruining it uh, not in the first us. reaction because nobody a understood what okay. their their the target was and b nobody explained it in the first i would say 24 hours now it has changed to a point i i, I feel like that i don't know Edgar. i think for some it, it changed I think a lot of them are just it's like this the difference in like fans that are actually like the organized fans that are involved in the club that care about like the directions the, the club and the football in general are taking and the typical um, like a um, crowd of like people just going there I want to see like a nice football game I want to have a nice afternoon with my family no disturbances like I don't want flares I don't want anything like just like go there eat some like bratwurst like dad and mom drink a beer and the that's kids me. drink a coke and, <laughs> and that's about it like um it's it's a mixed reaction. At first, I was really, really uh, like against it, and I, I for some, somewhat I understand it because I'm also in the opinion that it's not very smart to to try and have this protest using insults at at like a, a single person, and to not present your arguments. Like you know, it's like nobody knew what was going on. Like in the stadium, uh, in the stadium, nobody knew what was going on. They just saw someone being insulted for their understanding no reason or mm-hmm. like also like this has been happening now for a long long time and people who don't really engage with it that much they don't know all this background and they don't understand what's going on and so they there was a lot of negative feedback like whistling and and shouting in, in Hoffenheim and in, in other stadia as well like it's by the way we are it's not that this Son of a whore, Hurensohn, is a pretty rough insult in Germany. One of the rougher ones, mm-hmm. uh, definitely. But 
It's been used in stadiums for a very long time. frequently for a very, very long time mm. on banners, in chants, in personal insults. It has been happening. This, this, I'm not saying like that's a good thing. I'm just saying like reacting to it as harsh as the AFB did now is just surprising. I never got those mother insults. Maybe I'm sort of weird like that, but <laughs> anybody who ever said, oh, hey, I slept with your mom, I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's just this quite old lady. It just didn't, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it just seems so weird to me that somebody would use that as an insult. But uh, look, however, uh, we have uh, so much still about this but don't worry Matt you, you, you're talking I'm about. listening yeah he's listening okay I've heard it all, all uh, week. is this the death of German football I'm very passionate about this this whole situation because for me um, I love the Bundesliga I love it for me it's the best league in Europe not from the competition obviously there are better leagues but I think it's the most fun to watch and for me as a fan who likes to go to the stadium who likes to travel with the team from time to time at least I think that the active fan scene, the ultras and the support is a huge, a huge part of what makes German football special and what separates it these days from, for example, the Premier League or La Liga, mm -hmm. Serie A to a certain point. So for me, this is enormously important. The ultras also are the only fans that have the power to protest certain things. They are the only ones that do stuff like that. They have a, have a voice because... Who else could do it? There's a Kurvenrat, obviously, but that involves the ultras heavily. They're a big part of that. And if the ultras are gone, I feel like... So even the Bundesliga obviously is driven by profit, by nothing else, right? And the ultras at this point, they're just holding it back in the eyes of the, of the executives. That's just the case. They're trying to get rid of the ultras. That's not a secret. That's... They don't want them in the stadiums. These are one of the best seats in the house and they're giving them away for 15 euros, right? If they would get rid of the stands, they could sell these tickets for 150 euros. It's 10 times that. You lose all the atmosphere then. You lose all the atmosphere, but England England did it and it's happening in other leagues and nobody cares. And um, I'm really, really afraid this happens because if that happens, we lose the ultras, then we're going to lose 50 plus one because most teams behind closed doors I'm 100% certain they like the idea of having an investor and somebody who gives them loads of money and oh, they're yeah. open to that 100% we're gonna lose that we're gonna lose soldiers we're gonna lose the stands and then I said it before we're nothing but the shitty little brother brother of the Premier League we can't compete with the Premier League not even if, if 50 investors come to the Bundesliga the best ones are taken all the money's in the Premier League <laughs> like what is gonna happen is we're gonna be the Premier League in shit and I don't want that and that's why I'm afraid of it the death of German football well I think it's just a um, Helga's a bit more measured than Nico I'm here. always, I'm, I'm always a little bit more measured than him, yeah. <laughs> he's from northern Germany that's <laughs> yeah, always funny when we're like, in YouTube videos like it's always like people like you're talking to like too low like Nico's always like shouting and like, I don't know where to put my <laughs> where to put my volume <laughs> um, I think like, I think the major problem is like like I mean, I agree with what Nico said there. Like, it's also like the major problem is if they if the clubs stop talking to the fans or including the fans because right now really escalated a lot and quick. And at first, like, also the reactions were like, "Oh no!" Like, they, we have the three-step plan. Like Schalke, um, one of the CEOs there, or like, was sporting director? I don't know. Um, Jochen Schneider, sporting director. Yeah, and he was saying like, "Oh, maybe like we need like a one-step plan. Like, just like stop the games right away." And it's like there's. There's a lot of 
like escalation going on also like the the um the lawyer of the mahab was saying like maybe we need to like start searching the houses of the fans maybe we just like <gasps> need to put them in jail for a day just so like we like so get wild. them to like, like, like there's like a lot of like stuff being talked about it's like this is extremely weird to have this and like imagine if that was the case if like some fans are doing this and then suddenly there is a right for like football cups or police to just go through the houses of all the ticket holders and if they don't find anything which is something where they think like oh, what, this is what would they found yeah like the but that's dangerous paint? that's that's like, that is genuinely dangerous it's dangerous yeah, yeah but also there's like a, there's a there's a special force of the police right now in Mannheim that has just been created to like look at the case of Deep Mahop like what the, the is going on there the reaction stands in no correlation or relation to what actually happen it's it's way too hard way too big and they're overdoing it to a point where now i want to see exactly that reaction to any racial racial abuse or any abuse whatsoever in any stadium it needs to happen and if not then the dfb will have some explaining to do and okay. the problem then is like if they like, coming back to death of football mm -hmm. like If the if the fans feel that there is no one listening to them except if they escalate things, then these things will happen more and more often. The problem is if that happens all the time, then we would have like like stop stoppage of games, and also like if they would include, then the other situations of like where players are being insulted, like for example on the on the last cup game between Bayern and and Schalke, there were chants of uh, Manuel Neuer as a Hurensohn or like a son of a whore, which nobody reacted to. And then afterwards, they were claiming, like, yeah, this was, like, part of it. Like, it was, like, uh, situ situational. And uh, that's why we, like, we wanted to de-escalate. It's like, yeah, but if it's situational, like, this is the difference? Like, is it not situational when it comes to Deep Mahab? Like, they, like, this, mm. it really still looks like they're just doing this to uh, protect a rich billionaire investor. Do, when Manuel Neuer is investing so much money in the Bundesliga, then we'll see if he gets yeah, his own He just doesn't earn enough. That's the problem. Like, he, hasn't, he doesn't have enough He's not a billionaire yet. <laughs> Nico, you're passionate about uh, German fan culture are you passionate about the mighty Saarbrücken Saarbrücken yeah I like them Saarbrücken baby <laughs> <laughs> you love a pun <clears throat> excellent what a win they had Insane. Just uh, a two-second update because we, we, we need to talk about Liverpool. Well, basically, let's put it, they are in the fourth division in Regionalliga Südwest where they're leading the table and they just knocked out uh, Bundesliga club Düsseldorf out of the cup in a penalty shootout where, how's his name, Bats? Bats. Bats, the keeper, saved. Four. Four penalties and one in the in the game. I should have just shootout. asked Helge for this one. He's much better. And <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, this fourth division club knocked out Düsseldorf and now they in the German Cup semis and that's just a beautiful story I saw I saw a petition online to kick Testegen and Neuer out of the Euro squad and have Botsic <laughs> instead <laughs> it was amazing that game honestly um, elsewhere Matt Liverpool I'm still here he's still here he's still here he's still awake it's okay took a nap for like 30 minutes there I, I honestly I find it very interesting because it's so different from English football culture Like oh. what the yeah, what yeah, Nico yeah. and Helga on about but I've heard Nico especially in the office all week talk about it so I, <laughs> I I probably could have repeated all that information just from him <laughs> were you a little bit bored not bored not bored okay. interested uh, Liverpool actually lost the game of football Their first league defeat of 2019-20 and their first defeat in 40... First league defeat, I guess, in mm. 45 games. Matt. Bizarre. What, what happened? It's got to happen one time, I guess. I think that's what most people are putting it down to, the fact that it just has to happen and on the day they weren't quite up to it. Whether they thought it was going to be a walk in the park and never actually know, it's too easy to say that. 
it's too easy to say, oh, you know, Watford aren't great, so they probably thought they were going to steamroller it. Like, no. The Klopp, you've seen a Klopp team. Klopp's team go out with the same intensity every game. They go out with an insane amount of energy and sort of drive to do what they've always done and the team's always very consistent. And I just thought Watford matched them on the day. Lovren, playing Lovren was, you know, a big no-no. And I think that's really sort of killed his Liverpool career. Um, <laughs> finally. Yeah, finally. Mm. He was the best defender in the world, apparently, two years ago. And I think that was self, that might have been self, self-promotion. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I just thought that Watford had a very good game plan. And even with losing someone like Dale Lefeu, early on um, who is definitely one of their main attacking threats Saul was brilliant Deeney's sort of I don't know I feel like Deeney's really bullied the two centre halves it's something they haven't quite come up against um, I you know I watch a lot of the Premier League and I watch a lot of Liverpool and the amount of the defending they have to do is minimal is the amount of so Van Dyke is overrated? That's what you're telling. No, us. no, no, no. <laughs> don't, don't take the words and spin it. That'll be headlines tomorrow. Um, Frolic. Yeah, <laughs> Van Dyke is overrated. <laughs> Frolic I'm thinks he's sh- better than Van Dyke. I'm pretty sure I heard him say that actually. Um, <laughs> Lovren is better than Van Dyke. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It was. Yeah, they don't, they don't do a huge amount of defending, and you know they're very calm and they have a lot of the ball, and I just don't quite think they were ready for it. Um, but one of the main areas was that they the, they stopped the fullbacks. That was a massive. Massive. Stop the fullback, stop Liverpool. Is that what you're telling me? Pretty much, yeah. They, uh, if you watch them, an insane amount of crosses. And what's funny is it's definitely something throughout the club and that Klopp works on. Because I'm sure we we'll get onto a minute. Another loss for them against Chelsea in the FA Cup. Mm. Um, <laughs> if you want to talk about that, Neko Williams played right back instead of Trent Alexander-Arnold and did the exact same thing. Just cross after cross after cross. So it looks like it doesn't matter who's there. That's the game plan, and Watford nullified it really well. So they didn't just get lucky. Watford actually picked No, no, well, it was a really good game plan. Nigel Pearson, it is not out of the blue for Watford because Pearson's got them playing really well since he came in. Yeah. And yeah, look, it was an exceptional day for Watford and an off day for Liverpool that probably wouldn't happen another eight or nine times out of ten, but it did. Okay. Do uh, you, you think Klopp will have learned anything from the game or it's just we're putting it down I, to a I think step. he would because there was also the situation earlier in the season when Watford played at Liverpool and they lost and Watford were brilliant. Watford had so many chances in the box and the signs really were there and if Klopp was to ignore the signs of a 1-0 defeat to Atletico scraping past West Ham three goals conceded against Watford then another two against Chelsea if Klopp was to be like nah it's just a bad game he wouldn't really be doing his job right so I'm sure he remains calm and says we're still in a good position which they are but deep down they yeah they do need to have a, a bit of a sort out and see what's going on because you can't concede that many goals no. Just really quick, how yeah. pissed off do you think the team is right now very oh yeah hurt. right oh, they're all pretending they're, like they're, they're, they're going to put a hurting on Bournemouth at the weekend but yeah. I think yeah. they're like yeah. they're you furious. saw after the Atletico defeat they were so salty yeah. oh, they were oh, very salty God. after that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, and you just even the other day I saw um, I keep talking about the Chelsea game do you want to move on and maybe we'll talk about it later <laughs> Shall, well I had I had like an intro plan for the Chelsea game yeah that's game. what I Shall thought I okay, we'll save okay. that later let's all continue right. with Watford elsewhere well Liverpool actually lost the game of football wait what again <laughs> Boom. Uh, 2-0 to Chelsea. It's a setup. Three oh, defeats in four games. What happened, Matt? Yeah, Chelsea were brilliant. You'd swear this podcast was scripted. Yeah. Who thinks it? Mm-hmm. Chelsea were fantastic. So much energy. I thought Billy Gilmore in the middle was unbelievable. What a game from him. He's about 15 too. Yeah, and he's, he's very small and... 
he just sort of doesn't really look like what you'd expect or what you saw um, in the end he was he was brilliant I think Chelsea were were so good and there were a few points again which it was too close to say Chelsea would have completely just watched the Watford game and been like we need to do that like they wouldn't have just changed that whole tactic around in three days but the similarities were there he had a very good attacking player Ismaili Saar Ross Barkley you had a bully of a centre forward Troy Deeney Olivier Giroud you stopped the full backs um, crossing the ball in um, which Chelsea did as well which their fullbacks did really well and I also thought their defenders were sort of very bullish um, you know Rudiger um, especially was brilliant and I just thought I, I, I'm not so sure that Chelsea would have changed the style of play in three days between watching Watford and playing them but they've definitely taken note and maybe other teams will that this kind of team can really really pressure Liverpool I mean what they're doing look they didn't have their full strength side out they had two youngsters in the team one was the right back Williams the other was Curtis Jones in midfield there was just a certain arrogance well Alisson didn't start either did he? yeah yeah yeah. Adrian's still a you know, still a top-level goalkeeper. I That's, mean, they're, the rest of them were internationals. But I wanted to talk about like this a little bit because like Adrian, like he had made like a really big blunder there. Mm. So I, and Kepa was really amazing in that game. Yeah. Actually, like in some scenes, like where it was like three shots like right after each other. Yeah, yeah, like, it was mad. Like, like, like saving them all. So like I think there was like also a factor a little bit that like there, there were if, chances. If, if like Adrian doesn't make that mistake. And then Liverpool scores, then could be a different game. But I, I think, yeah. and going back to what I said earlier about Watford, Liverpool um, at Anfield, and you know, if you watch a lot, you would have seen it time and time again. Liverpool concede chances. I don't know what it is about pressure or whatever it is. The amount of chances that teams have missed against Liverpool has been insane. And so then it works for them. Because you, you're right. Like, you know, Adrian just does a normal save. Fine. Ross Bartley's not feeling so confident, gets taken down. Yellow card, bam. That's two goals chalked off. So the, it is a weird concoction, like, to finally figure out that Liverpool aren't scoring and the other teams are beating them. But the signs have been there for a while. Mm. Especially with the way they play. It works really well, but it can be undone defensively. Frolic. Liverpool are rubbish at the back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> they will get relegated. <laughs> Um, I've got a. I want to get out to Ross Barkley in a mm. second, but just while we're on the topic of Liverpool, uh, will it be a disappointing season if they just win the league? Well, th- th- this is like. So Van Dyke's, you know, been quoted as saying that you guys are all making this shit up. We're in a happy position, you know, the Club World Cup and UEFA Super Cup. And oh, they won the, the Club Premier World League. Cup, but that doesn't count. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Club World Cup doesn't count. The Great, Club World so. Cup, Super Cup. So, I mean, it's all. Klopp made a really good point when he decided to take two split the team into two half went to Aston Villa for the League Cup quarter final half went to um, Qatar I think it was for the Club World Cup he said the Club World Cup doesn't happen very often so we want to make the most of it and play when you're a team who's in it quite often that's what lessens the competition so the Club World Cup for Real Madrid for Manchester United back in the 2000s for AC Milan eventually it was like oh we've got to go and play one you know Japanese side one Brazilian side one blah 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 and it wasn't a big deal it is still a big deal it is a big cup and it's massive for Liverpool because they haven't been there and I think I don't that's, think it is a big cup yeah yeah I, I don't either Spurs have never been there and from <laughs> and from what I've from what I know if Spurs from won it would you count it as yeah, a trophy yeah of course <laughs> and from, but, but they would have to win the Champions League first yeah. so. uh, from seeing from seeing big teams who really really don't 
put a lot of effort into it and it seems almost like a bit of a friendly competition. It obviously meant a lot to Liverpool and I think that's why that, you know, especially from their fan base and from the team, they do count it big. Right. Um, but, but if they just win the, if league, just win the Premier League, if they, come on, I want nailing you down you want to an, an answer. answer yeah, I want an answer. It is still a successful season. It is a disappointing no. season. What? what? Yeah, no, it's great that they win it's the league. It's been like again. 500 years yeah, since they won I know, it. and this is great, but let's be honest, when the league has been in the back for three months. Yeah. So... There was the chance to have what, a... What kind of argument is that? Like, yeah, they no, won the league a while ago. Is, like, that's what I'm saying is, yes, count. it is a successful season, but it could have been an all-time great season. Yeah. Because this is an all-time great squad. Yeah, but... Uh, well, this is another point. I think it's an all-time great team, not an all-time great squad. I don't I think, know what the difference is. Well, well the, the team, team is, is you're 11 starting, on the you're starting 11. Uh-huh. Yeah, Whereas yeah, the squad yeah. who right. filled in against Chelsea clearly aren't good enough. Okay. But but I, I agree. That, and it's the same thing that goes around with the Invincible Zero for Arsenal, saying, oh, the Invincibles and this and that. They won one trophy. Yeah. Knocked out the FA Cup, knocked out the League Cup, didn't get far in the Champions League. Tw- 26 wins and 12 draws for that Invincible side. Don't get me wrong, it's unbelievable not to lose. But yeah, as you say, if this team, Liverpool team, is the best in the world, they need to win more. Frolic. Invincibles are overrated. <laughs> so no, a series of wacky headlines and comics. But my point will be like, I think like they won the Champions League already. So if they now win the league for the first time in 30 years, like, like the fans are just going to go crazy. Yeah. Like, it's like, it's yeah. not going to be disappointing or like a, even like, like an average season. Like, they're going to win it, like the title that they were after the, the, for so long, finally. And also... I would agree with that yeah. point. Like if they, if they, because they still have like two, three years easily to go with that team. Like, mm. like the players are all like mid and twenties. Like brilliant. They ages. don't, they don't mm. really have to to change much. Contract situations are good too. Yeah, like yeah. They, they don't have any financial struggles that they would need to sell any players. So if they in like the next two, three years don't win the Champions League again, they maybe not win the the league again. Then this would be like a maybe a little bit of a like somewhat mm. disappointing era of like like five years. But right now they have the like four titles within, uh, like even two lesser ones, yeah. but four titles within. One like, year. So two amazing years. twelve months, like all time yeah. twelve months for Liverpool. That's what it's going to be. This measured uh, mature thinking, Helge. This will never go down well <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> but he does have a point. But I think this is like the glory years of Liverpool because Klopp can't keep this up. The players can't keep it up under Klopp for like another three years. No, it's exhausting. It's, yeah. yeah. So I just think, and as well, there was. I don't know I feel like Liverpool may be a bit entitled and you don't really want to see that in the players okay uh, we did slag off Ross Barkley after the mm. Bayern defeat so we should offer some praise he, that was a great goal it was a great goal yeah he was brilliant he he really carried out the team's kind of plan really well it was be be there defensively of course when, when Chelsea were digging deep but the, the whole point of getting in and around Olivier Giroud was just his main his main job right the rest of them can defend can pass can work the ball forward can do whatever but when Giroud takes control of Van Dijk and they're just in a one-on-one scrap you win the second ball because that's how Liverpool play they're incredibly high paced you know the, the Gagan press they really push up on their opponents and they win the second ball because they make the pitch so small and they crowd it out and they're always there for the second ball when it doesn't happen the second goal was the perfect example Van Dijk went for it which he, he very rarely pushes out for it he lets Gomez and the other defenders go for it Van Dijk just sits there and controls it he went for it missed it the ball comes through um, I think Giroud flicks it on and then Bartley runs and does the rest mm. so they really had the defence not doing what they normally do elsewhere wins for uh, the rest of the Premier League uh, wins for the rest of the Premier League sides ensures the magic of the cup keeps on trucking mm. uh 
But one Premier League side who didn't win, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) Spurs. Spurs. I feel like we're going to say the same thing every week. Go on. So it would just be the headline. Spurs will not win football games without a striker. So I don't know why everyone's expecting... you got Jan Vertonghen. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know why people are sort of amazed. It's like... I'm not amazed. I'm just... I just want... I like to hear you rant every once in a while. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, you send, send City out without, like... Aguero and Sterling or send Bayern out without Lewandowski and Nabry of course you're going to be worse well they will have to do that well they, yeah. they won 6-0 against Huffman yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean they've got other quality just, players but yeah, just yeah, really no, quick, just, which just leads just me to the next mm. question is why do you don't, well, why is there no backup yeah, striker well there is no backup striker because personally I well, think there Daniel, is but he doesn't want to play him Daniel, Daniel Levy's um, looking to sell because he's just built up the club um, since 2001 in such a way that it's the ultimate package for an investor. It's the big stadium that makes you money, not just off football games, but off, I mean, even the next Anthony Joshua fight there. The bakery. The bakery. The bakery in the big, stadium. Big, big deal There's breaker. There's a cheese room, right? There, you, there was going to be. There's no cheese room. What? Yeah. No, he's not going to sell that. So there's a, uh, <laughs> there's a microbrewery in there. The oh, event okay. has concerts. The stadium, the A microbrewery in a football stadium. Yeah. The, um, the, the training facilities are up there with anyone in Europe. The squad's unbelievable. They're at a good age. Jose Mourinho is an attractive manager. The whole package is there. If you're an investor and you want to pump money into a football club... Mm-hmm. Spurs got to be the one and I think Daniel Levy knows this and I'm not sure him or Joe Lewis who's the owner um, are really willing to put a lot of money in because you know Harry Kane got injured on the 1st of January which just so happens to be the day the transfer window opens you would have thought good luck mm. <laughs> but no 30 days later no one's been bought in sure I have just a, a question I have a, yeah, so I have a theory about Spurs that yeah. I just want to ask Matt about uh, as with any theory mm. it's, it's an academic thing really uh, maybe they shouldn't have sacked Pochettino yeah, well, the, well, this is the thing again. Pochettino, in various interviews last summer and to the start of the season, said rebuild needs to happen. It's going to be painful. Players are going to have to go, but they need to rebuild the squad. He saw after five years that so many players were stagnating, and they have completely. And I think the best managers realise this, and they move themselves on, like Guardiola and Klopp do, or they really, really change the squad like Ferguson used to do, when just every two or three years be like stagnating, get rid, move on, move on, move on. And the chairman wasn't willing to back him. The chairman wanted someone who'd say, no, this squad's fine, I'll work with him. Mourinho did. Even even now, Mourinho says, I'm happy with the squad. I mean, obviously, he's not happy with the injuries. He's happy with the squad and works with them. He can't mean that. He can't mean that. No. There's no way he can, but... He's a yes man that Levy wants and he doesn't want Pochettino saying, hey man, get rid of these 10, I need 300 million. Because okay. that is the truth. Why was Eric Dyer climbing into the stands? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll bring back our favourite word, allegedly, <laughs> because no reports are actually true. Uh, apparently someone was fighting with his brother or someone said something to him or there was... A pro- Dyer's brother? Yeah. Okay. Dyer, Dyer went to get his brother. Ah, okay. He was in the, who, that's where he ran to. Mm-hmm. Then apparently there was racial abuse against Jetson Fernandez. Mm-hmm. Um... There was all sorts of bits and pieces going on. Um, again, no one actually knows what technically happened as of recording this podcast. Mm-hmm. More information may come out. I have questions over it. I don't know if I've seen a few videos of him doing it. Doesn't look like he confronts or fights anybody. No, but he's in the stands. They're, they're, yeah, he's yeah, in the stand, and, and, he, and he grabs his brother and takes his brother and the security guard there as well with him but there's there's much commented I can use my favourite one of my favourite English words there was a kerfuffle it was a kerfuffle (laughs) but there was like word that kerfuffle (laughs) one kerfuffle sandwich please (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah there wasn't 
there wasn't anyone taking the brunt of it. Dyer wasn't pointing the finger at anyone. Look, I don't know. He was the edge of the pitch and this is about 20 rows back and we were saying earlier for him to have heard something racially aimed at Jason Fernandez, unless it was in Portuguese for him to have heard something and no one else around to have heard it but Dyer 30 yards away hears it and then gets walks over 20 seats I find it very odd yeah. a bit suspicious he did look animated but again uh, I think my personal view from what would make the most sense to me is that someone went up to Dyer's brother and went oh your brother's shit tell him you know tell him to do better on the field mm-hmm. and obviously you don't want to be some, if tell someone to do better on the yeah, field that's, I'm sure that's exactly how yeah, it was phrased I'm trying to put it nicely yeah, yeah if, if someone just comes in and starts randomly abusing my brother I'm going to stick up for him mm-hmm. and then my brother probably would jump in the crowd and oh, okay. drag me away so it's yeah Brotherly love. Just one <laughs> quick question. If mm. Spurs would get sold, what would be a price for, for the whole package? I have no well, idea. Well, Two this, billion? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They wanted something like, because they value the club. They value the club, and then there's also the value of the squad, which they're not buying. You're not buying. Give us a, just give, give us a, a number. Uh, just give us it a number. It was like 1.2 billion or something like Too that. Too little. <laughs> just wanted to say something. Um, yeah. we got to go because you've got a very important vodcast that yes. you've got to do. But a quick word on your new best friend. Who's my new best friend? Robert Lewandowski. Um, no, he... I have no idea how to translate that. He broke a part of his chin, but not the actual... No, but you were... I don't care about that. His you, chin. Oh, you were hanging out with him. Oh, yeah, I was. He's an amazing dude. He's the smartest footballer I've talked to in my career so far. Mm-hmm. Um, he has... There's nothing on the football pitch that he has not thought about, which is shocking because I tried to catch him off guard with some questions. He was ready for everything I threw at him. Amazing man, and um, he like, he technically is too smart to ke- uh, continue working in football after his career. He should probably like, make the world a better place somehow and not well, stick to football. Well, he has a bachelor degree on Robert Lewandowski. Does he? <laughs> <laughs> is that a thing? He actually wrote his thesis about himself, yeah. Did he? Wow. Yeah. Wait, what? That's yeah. spectacular. <laughs> is that real? Uh, he, has a, he has a degree somewhere. I don't know if it's like communication or like something, but he wrote his thesis on himself. It's from the yeah. University of Lewandowski. Isn't it? Is that true? Yeah, yeah. High chance that is a university of Lewandowski. Yeah, he is the teacher and the student. (laughs) Well, I think on that note, uh, that's all from us today. My thanks to Matt, Nico, and Helga. Uh, I won't be back next week, but Dan Burke will be with all your favourite guests maybe even Matt Uh, should you miss us in the meantime you can listen to the back catalogue on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify wherever it is you get your podcast hit and if you want to get in touch the address to do so is podcast at onefootball.com 